Welcome back, folks. We're here for another edition of the Iron Dread Podcast. This one is episode number 38 with Mr. Dane Roach. Uh, He's the owner and head coach of Power and Performance Training. He's the state co-chair of USAPL Michigan uh, and a competitive powerlifter and all-around good guy. Uh, Got a chance to meet Dane in person a few weeks ago at a powerlifting meet and got talking with him and thought he'd be a great addition to our Iron Dread podcast. So we talk a little bit about powerlifting uh, with his own training, kind of how he got to where he is. Uh, talked about officiating, his business, and pow- at power and performance. And we even broke out into some pro wrestling talk. Uh, this was a fun one. I really enjoyed doing this episode with Dane, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, but first, want to remind everybody about all of our social media handles. You can find me at Coach underscore Whitaker 66 on Instagram, at Coach underscore Whitaker on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag ID podcast when you're talking about the show. Uh, if you like this one, let us know what you uh, what you thought about it. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to me. Send me a direct message uh, at either one of those handles, and we'll talk about getting you on the show. Remember, we're looking for positive things, uh, things that are fun. Obviously, we love strength training, uh, powerlifting, and the things of the like. But uh, you know, we'll talk about everything on here. We're getting some. Uh, some good episode topics. We put out a Instagram poll or Instagram question uh, a little while ago, a few weeks ago now, and uh, gathering some ideas. And we got some, some good ideas coming from you, the listeners, and you'll be hearing those very soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user, please give us a rating and review. It helps people know more about the show. Well... Folks, without uh, any further ado, we're going to get into episode number 38 with Mr. Dane Roach. Hit the intro music. We're back live from the Sanctorium of Strength. This is the Iron Dread Podcast. I am sitting here with Mr. Dane Roach. He is the owner and head coach of Power and Performance Training. Uh, and he also is the state co-chair of USAPL Michigan and a competitive powerlifter himself. Dane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, happy to be here. I never thought I'd be cool enough to be on a podcast. I still don't know if I am, but uh, but here we are. <laughs> That, I mean that that you know that's all debatable. I don't know if I'm cool <laughs> enough to host a podcast, so we'll just we'll just have fun with this and our uh, our listeners. But hey, listen, our, our Iron Dread podcast is growing now, spanning across six different countries. You know, listen to the Iron Dread podcast uh, according to our our data. So I mean, you're you're getting out there 
to uh, places like Australia, Ireland, England, Canada. You know, you're all, you're getting out there all over. So, so I get, I think that's pretty cool. Prestige worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Dave. So before we kind of talk about your story and your, uh, you know, how, how you got to where you are, uh, I like to do these speed set questions and I throw them in at different times of the show. And I think for you, uh, we're going to throw them in right here from the beginning uh, to start out. All right. Speed sets, you know, our conjugate style training, you know, 10 sets of two really fast, bang, 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 bang. Um, so we'll, we'll run through these. 10 questions first. Are you ready? I am as ready as I'm going to get. Uh, being a Michigan guy, I, when I ask people this question. Uh, when they're not from Michigan, they don't get it. Right? But being a, a guy born and raised here in Michigan, um, go blue, go green. Uh, forever go blue. I, always, since I, was, since I was a kid. I have more gold blues than gold greens. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with it's you. Every time we have. do this, it, it is a good trend to have. <laughs> Your favorite movie? That's a hard one, um, since I like different genres. But the movie that I quote more than anything is Anchorman, so I'm gonna go with that one. <laughs> Your favorite TV show? Um, it's not on anymore, but Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. I've, I've, I've never seen it. I've seen commercials for it, but I've never seen it. You should definitely watch it. Ron Swanson is the man. It's but Parks and Rec and The Office. Like everybody tells me, they're both hilarious, but I've never actually, you know, sat down and, and watched them. Uh, number one hobby. There you go. Um, outside of powerlifting, I don't know if I have any. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just I'll just say powerlifting for that one because I don't know what I have other than that. <laughs> all right so this next one here is very personal all right I, I take much uh much stock in the answers to this question i may even select my friends based on how they answer this question here your chicken wings how do you order them and what side do you dip them in you're probably gonna kick me off the podcast right away but i i, I go boneless because i'm an animal and um i dip them in ranch spicy as spicy as i can get and then i use ranch well folks that'll be all for our show today <laughs> i know you're uh, an East thanks, Coast guy, so y'all are about blue cheese out there i know that <laughs> blue cheese is nasty man <laughs> blue cheese and chicken wings have bones i i make it i make it a point that when I order wings here and the waitress or waiter asks me, you know, what do I want? I, I look at them and, and just smile and say, there's only one way to order chicken wings. And I'm some of them get it. Uh, some of them get it. Some of, some of them look at me like, what? Well, <laughs> all right. All right. That's, you know. Strike one, yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll, it's a good thing. We're going to talk about pro wrestling here in a little bit, yeah, and that'll 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 balance balance you out here. All right, uh, your favorite exercise to train? Squats. Um, any particular variation? Um, low bar. My competition style is my my preferred. Okay. Uh, your favorite sport to play? Did you play? Well, we'll talk more if you played any other sports. But your favorite sport to play? Um. It was baseball when I went for most of my life. Okay. Baseball, your favorite sport to watch? Um, 
college football specifically. Not a big pro football guy, but college football is my favorite to watch. Yeah, we're going to be watching a lot of uh, Big 12 and yeah. SEC games, ACC games this yeah. year, huh? I'm going to be watching uh, the Wolverines. Uh, your favorite food? Pizza. <laughs> That's another thing we could spend a lengthy discussion on, but it's a speed sets question, so we'll move on. Uh, favorite music genre to train to? Oh, that's hard because I can train to anything. Um, just a generic rock, I guess, will we'll work because that encompasses a lot of things. It's a generic and generic rock because I can encompass harder rock or you know more alternative stuff too. So, okay, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. You got the you know your five finger death punches of the world, yeah. right? And all, all that all the way. Uh, our, what what's first big hot scorching hot take here, uh, Mr. Dane Roach? What is your opinion on Nickelback? <laughs> um, other than to make fun of them, I see no point in listening. To <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Folks, he's a Nickelback hater. He dips, he gets boneless wings, dips them in ranch, and hates Nickelback. Good God, man! So my boneless wings because in person I don't want to have stuff, or in in public I don't want to have stuff all over my hands and look like mm. a filthy animal. When I'm when I'm in public, yeah. But they they give you those moist you know, moist towelettes they to, never give to you enough. Though. They true, never give you enough. you're right. I I mean they look at me, and when I when I order anywhere's between twenty and thirty wings, you know they say, oh, this guy's probably gonna need a couple extra. So they <laughs> they usually they usually help me help me out there. Uh, uh, it's a uh, it's always fun. Um. Okay, so uh, you're a Nickelback hater. We'll just move on from that too. <laughs> I watched a video the other day of this guy, and it was a uh, you know I don't know where he was if it was a uh, you know Southern cat or or whatever guy looked like he had a big uh, wad of chewing tobacco in, and he's just going, I don't know why y'all don't love Nickelback. You know the words to every song, and he goes on for like five minutes uh, on uh, on Nickelback. It was it was quite funny. I mean, I, I like their music, but I also you know know the reasons why people tend to make fun of them. Uh, but all our Canadian listeners, let us know uh, let us know what you think of Nickelback because they are a Canadian band. Uh, so, Dame, uh, kind of what's your story? Like, how did you get to where you are right now as the owner and head coach of Power and Performance and you know, being a, a state co-chair and official for the USAPL? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. Coaches like to talk about themselves. But um, so I uh, played sports growing up um, throughout high school. I had a chance. I went to Hope College, a Division three school on the west side of Michigan. Had a chance to play football there. Didn't wasn't very good. I was too small. <laughs> I was like five foot seven, 155 pounds. So I got knocked around the field. Um, but had a chance to then throw a javelin there on the track team. But I always seem to enjoy the lifting aspect of training for the sport more than the sport itself. Um, so as I was in strength and conditioning, um, I did various internships and then went to um, Oakland University and was working there as a coach, um, as the head strength coach for a couple of different teams. Um, and I missed competing. I, I missed having something competitive there. I was training all the time, but I wanted that competitive aspect somewhere. So I said, well, why don't I compete in lifting weights since that's what I enjoy so much. So I, I did my first meet in, I believe it was 2015. 
Um, and after my first squat, I knew I was kind of, I knew I was hooked. I knew I was going to do it on another meet. Um, and like some people, I didn't jump my squat command. So I, <laughs> um, so I, I got my, got my first squat and I knew I was, I knew I was in. Um, and so along with that, I had a couple friends that wanted to compete. And since I was already programming for athletes, programming for powerlifting came relatively easy. There's less variables to deal with. There's all that stuff. So I started programming for them just for fun. Turned out, uh, they did pretty well. And most of that's on them, not me for following the program, but they did pretty well. And so then I started to um, pick up clients through just word of mouth and, and things like that. And I was always USA powerlifting just because of it being drug tested and things like that. Um, that's where I wanted to go. And it just kept growing from there. In 2016, I had four clients and now I have 20 plus. Um, I never necessarily thought it would grow to be that big. Um, but I'm, I'm glad it did. And I've gotten more involved with the sport as I've grown in it. I'm a senior national coach, um, national referee, state coach here, like you mentioned with, with Gina, who was on the show before. Um, and yeah, it just has gotten, gotten bigger since then. Awesome. Now your, your power and performance, uh, do you have a location that you work out of? Or are you, uh, you know, do you do online based, uh, coaching and programming? You know, how, how does your business work? I don't specifically have a location. Um, most of my stuff is remote. Um, I coach people that are all around the state of Michigan, some folks in Texas, um, some folks in other states have inquired that I'm probably gonna start working with here soon. So most of my work is remote. So folks will send me videos um, to perform checks, things like that. I'll program out blocks and edit it weekly as needed. Um, some folks that I know that are in the area that I live in, I do once when gyms are open. I go to the gym and I'll, you know, train with them and we'll have, we'll have one-on-one -on -one sessions if they're, if they're available. And then if for folks on meet day for, for our meets that are around the, the state of Michigan, so Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, I'll travel to those meets to, to, to help them on, on meet day as well. Yeah. And not too, uh, not too long ago here, I was listening to meet and Dane was there and that's where we, we got to meet, uh, meet each other. And, uh, yeah. I jumped my squat command and uh, I had him watch me the rest of the rest of the way uh, for sure. Second meet in a row. Second yeah. Second meet in a row. <laughs> I'm only done two and <laughs> both of them. I've completely ignored the, the squat command. That awesome. Any, any of my power lifters that are listening to this right now are probably smacking themselves in the head and going, you get on us so bad for that same thing. Yeah. Well, I did it. I got too fired up on an opener again. Um, Okay, so it's all all remote based stuff, which is which is really good in this in this time frame here, where uh, I think we're like the only state left. I mean, I, New York even opened their gyms. We still There's don't have like our four gyms. four or five that aren't, but we're we're one of the few. What was it? Us, us, North Carolina? Maybe I know. I think some of California is still closed. Some of California. I mean, it's, it's getting ridiculous now. Like we got to open these damn gyms and well, let's follow some safety protocols. We'll keep groups small and let's get people back in the gym. Good God. There's, there's ways to do it. I'm not sure what the holdup is now. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it adds a, a lot of headaches to all of our lives. I'm sure as, as coaches. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're, you're currently training and, and competing and, 
and we talked a little bit about this at, at the meet, but uh, what's your, you know, what's your preferred, you know, training style? How do you lay out programming for yourself or for your athletes? So for myself, I actually have my own coach. Um, I found it easier to kind of outsource, if you will, my, my own training because I'll tend to overthink it too much if I, if I read it out myself. And it's good to have another pair of eyes. So I'm coached by Bryce Lewis from The Strength Athlete. We've been working together for about four years. For my own training, I squat two or three times a week, bench three or four times a week, and deadlift one to two times a week. Um, that sounds like a lot to some people if they're not if they're more used to lower frequency, but understand that volume is adjusted. So we're not going like super hard or super heavy every single day. We do that. Some days are just more technique focused, um, things like that. But um, right now, for instance, my one day I have low bar squat. The other day I have high bar with a little bit of pin squat thrown in. Um, I'm RDLing one day and conventional deadlifting the other day. Um, and then bench, I have some other variations. So that's my own training is, is that style. It's worked pretty well for me. I have a propensity to get injured at bad times um, through no fault of anybody, anybody's, it just happens. Um, so Bryce and I have kind of finally figured out the formula to hopefully keep me as healthy as we can and keep me progressing forward. I'd like to compete sometime again after the, the first year. It'll been, it'll been two years since I competed um, by the time I compete again. But um, so that's how I train. Um, my own coaching style kind of depends. I, I don't like to say necessarily that I have a specific style um, because really you're taking elements of everything into it if you're, if you're doing it right. Um, I guess I would say my approach in general is a moderate intensity, moderate volume type of approach. So I don't throw a ton of volume at people and I don't work at a high intensity at all times. Um, obviously as meat get, meats get closer, I get more specific, but the further out I am from a meat, the more variation I use um, just to try to both keep it interesting. So there's continued buy into the program and also to try to, if there's any technical fixes we can use, um, use that. But I use elements of everything. So I, I don't like when a coach necessarily says, oh, I'm just a, I can't even think of, I'm just a DUP, daily undulating periodization guy. Mm -hmm. It's like, sure, you vary the reps each day, but um, you also use a volume block and an intensity blocks and peaking blocks. So you're using block periodization and you program pause squats one day and comp squats another day. So that's a, a taste of conjugate, not necessarily the, the full gamut. And then you go from high volume to low volume. So you're linear. So I think folks get in trouble with trying to say they're only one style of programming when really there's a, they're not mutually exclusive. You're, you're doing bits and pieces of everything pretty much at all times. Um, and most coaches are all doing similar things. So. I mean, there's a good training. Always, there's certain things that are always in good training, in my opinion, right? You got to wave things. You can't be up here all the time, right. at high intensity, hot, whatever it is, right? You have to go through those waves of things where you're working on something for a little bit and then drop it back out. You know, from, from my vantage point as a, you know, a conjugate guy, like, you know, where we run max effort work, dynamic effort work every week, right, for both upper and lower, but where you see a lot of the the waving, not only in the dynamic effort method, but it's in the different uh, variations and the different things that we do in the accessory work mm -hmm. more than anything. You know, yeah. I try to keep, so I use, depending on the individual I work with, because um, that'll also depend on what my style is for that person, because I'm not going to, we all have our coaching biases, but 
I'm not going to let those biases override what's working for them. So if something works for them that might not be what I'd usually do, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. That means I'm going to say, okay, this is working. There's no point in not doing it. But in general, I, I use RPE for some people. So that's rate of perceived exertion for people who aren't familiar. So essentially it's um, on a scale of 10, an RPE of 10 would be a maximum effort lift. You can't add a single pound to the bar. Um, so I try to keep most folks around an RP seven or eight. That would be an RP seven means if you did one rep, you could do three more reps after that. An RP eight, you could do two more reps after that. I try to keep folks in those ranges for most of the time because it's heavy enough to drive an adaptation, but not so heavy that it wrecks them for subsequent sessions. And you can also kind of build it up linearly so you can start, you know, in a block. If you were, you could start an RP six, seven, eight, and then deload them. And you can kind of gradually add weight to the bar that way. So it's a way to discern you're still adding weight to the bar, um, but you're able to auto-regulate because sometimes you just don't have a good day. And so you have to adjust accordingly. Now, not everybody is good at RPE. That's where the issue comes in is that it's sometimes hard to judge. Um, so that's where those folks I might be more percentage-based and just put weight on the bar that I would anticipate the RP being at. Yeah, it's... It and again, you explained it, just finding ways to load the bar, then take some off, load the bar, mm -hmm. right? And, and and getting people to a certain point. I mean, I, I like RPE myself. Um, you know, we, with us, we, we train percentages on our dynamic effort days, but I was watching a, a seminar from Matt Wenning the other day, and he talked about how he applies RPE to conjugate. And he's saying, okay, um, we're going to, this is max effort day. Um, we're going to use this variation and we're going to work up to a nine out of 10 RPE on this, you know, heavy single. And he uses the example between all out and, you know, and our, you know, the RPE scale where a lot of people, when they think the max effort work, they think all out, like go into, you can't do any more or they're pulling you out of the rack. Um, but really max effort work, as you said, you, you, you want to keep it a, a, a little bit underneath where, because if we keep hitting that ceiling, it's like bashing your head against that ceiling. Eventually you're going to hit it. You're going to knock yourself out and fall down yeah. in the form of injury, yeah. <laughs> you know, or CNS fried, which I read your article uh, on that the other day, uh, last night I was reading through some of your stuff and I saw that you had a blog post on, uh, on that, on the CNS, the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. which you have to control for you have to control intensity in order to not do that to yourself mm -hmm. right yeah and i think a big thing with rp is that a lot of folks will overshoot and when you overshoot you're not giving yourself any room to grow in the block um if you start at a you know an rp nine or ten in your first week of a, of a four-week block you're not going to have much room to go from there no. so then you're you're just going to be stuck so it's better to start add a little more submaximal and give yourself room to make some jumps into that heavier weight than just right from the start be like oh well i hit or this really heavy single but that's it you're done yeah. like you're not going to go anywhere from there yeah and with with conjugate and, and well you're well you're talking you know waving that well you're going to do that probably do that same variation for those three weeks that you wave from six seven mm -hmm. to eight where a, a conjugate adaptation would say, okay, all right, hey, we're going to work up to this. This is a, we're going to do heavy triples. I'm going to work it up to a nine, nine out of 10, super heavy. But next week we're going to change the exercise, which that, that, that's, 
I think what people people forget, like when they look at it and they say, oh, as you said, you know, oh, you know, squatting, you know, three times in a week. Well, you're squatting three times in a week, but as you said, you're variating things a little bit differently. You know, you, you might do a, a heavy, you know, you're, you're, you know, seven out of, out of 10 RP on, on Monday, but when you come back again, it might on Wednesday or, or Thursday, whenever you do it again, you're doing something a little bit different. You're still squatting, but you're doing right. something a little bit different, a little less loading. Yeah, you know, usually it's like something that. like a, a heavy day, a more high rep day, and then a day that's almost just like a technique practice day where it's like around 80% of one rep max, give or take for singles or doubles. So it's not really hard. Um, it's just a day to really dial in and focus on, on technique and things like that. Which for, for powerlifting specifically, uh, is not a bad thing, like because your sport, your sp- specific thing that you're training for is the squat, the bench, the straight bar squat, the bench press, the deadlift. So getting more reps and more practice in your sport mm-hmm. uh, is going to be beneficial. Well, when you threw the javelin, at some point you had to throw the javelin yeah. a lot to be <laughs> able to do it. Like you could go out and do all kinds of run ups and and throwing you know, weighted balls and, and, and things like that. But at some point you have to actually, you know, get some reps and get some practice in the specific sport that you're, yeah. you're doing. And for a power lifter, that specific sport is, is a squat, the bench and a deadlift, which is often, and I know I keep going back to conjugate, but that's obviously where my bias is. Um, sometimes I think we don't do enough in, in the conjugate program to get that specificity. Mm-hmm to transfer to powerlifting. Like I felt like, you know, this last cycle training into this meet, I'd added in some straight bar work like two or three weeks out. And I probably should have sprinkled it in a little bit more mm-hmm. over the the few months going in, you know, cause you know, when you, when you use a, a safety squat bar and a, a cambered bar and a Buffalo bar and all these different things that we're blessed to have, um, you know, all of a sudden now I, I get underneath that, that straight bar and I'm like, Oh man, this, this feels a little different. You yeah. know? Yeah. Strength, strength is a skill for sure. And even with those other bars, the motor patterns change just enough that if you're, if you're not used to it with, with the regular straight bar, it's going to feel a little bit, a little bit funky to, to start off with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just feel going from like an eight foot long Buffalo bar, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I put my hands on the, on a standard size, you know, straight bar. And I'm like, Oh, man it feels it feels tight under here but it, it's it it gets uh i get used to it but i mean because i mean conjugate itself was was built really with athletes in mind that didn't have that their specific work was their their track and field event or whatever right. it was they were doing you know just to raise the strength level of an athlete mm-hmm. overall which is why I like it for what I do. Cause I'm, you know, yeah, I have power lifters that I train at the school, but I'm having a majority athletes. Right. Like, and I'm look, as I look at more things and, and read more things, like my athletes don't need to do a bunch of straight bar work all the time. Cause unless they're one of my power lifters, they're not going to do it. Where in your case, you want to program that more stuff for that because your athletes are power lifters first. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, whatever gives the best outcome for the athlete is what should be programmed. I don't care if it's a trap bar, deadlift, uh, whatever it is. If they're getting, if they're able to add weight to the bar and it keeps them healthy enough to play their sport, that's what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Okay. Um, so we talked about kind of your business and what you do with that. And, and at the end of the show, um, I'll have you drop your social media handles. And if okay. people, if people want to get in touch with you, if they're interested, are you, uh, do you have open spaces right now for to take on more training clients? Yeah, I have, I have plenty of availability right now for, for folks if they're, if they're interested. I can, I can definitely, I, I don't know where my availability cap would end, but it's not anywhere close to, to where that would be right now. So. All right. So you got, you got some open things. So we'll, we'll do, we'll drop that at the end too. But if somebody listens right now and they, they want to get in touch with you, how would they get in touch with you about, you know, setting up, uh, you know, training and, and, and talking with you? Um, they can message me on my um, business Instagram, which is just power and performance. Um, or they can go to my website, powerandperformance.net, and um, that she can inquire through there, and uh, that'll come right to me, and then I can get a hold. Okay, so it's at power and performance. So uh, on Instagram, power underscore and underscore performance uh, on Instagram, or go to Dave's website, powerperformance.com, and and we'll remind everybody of that again at the at the end of the show too. But if you're listening right now and you're interested in getting into some powerlifting training with Dane, uh, reach out to him. All right, so let, let's let's talk about the USAPL and, and officiating, um, and and all your the things that you're doing with that. Um, now, Gina, when she was on, she kind of talked about how um, Alex, uh, how do we pronounce her last name? Gr- Gr- Greiton, Alex Greiton was, was, she was the, the, the chair here in Michigan. And then she decided that she was going to retire and step out and you two kind of wound up throwing your names in the hat and, and now you're there. Um, but what, what does that entail being the, being the, the state co-chair of USAPL Michigan? I guess we'll start there. Um, quite a few, got to wear quite a few different hats when, I mean, when you're, when you're a co-chair, um, Gina handles most of the meat directing stuff because she's very good at it. I'm just kind of her right-hand person when she needs things for for that. So she handles the meat directing aspect, but um, it's, you know, answering member inquiries about certain things. It's trying to increase membership in the, in the Federation. We're also representatives of, for the state. So if we think there's a a rule or a bylaw that should be changed um, based on what we're hearing from our membership, when we have the national governing body meeting, which this year I'm not even I don't even remember the date it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be they're initially usually in May, but then everything happened with COVID, so then they were going to push it to October, and so I don't even think we're going to officially have one this year. But I digress. Anyway, we take whatever our members' interest may be. If we think there's a rule that needs to be changed, or that we see a proposal, and we can ask the membership, "What do you think about this rule?" and we can go and give our vote for our state, whether we are approved or against whatever the rule might be. Um, so quite a few different things regarding that. I'm um, just trying to be, you know, grow powerlifting in the state of Michigan, grow USA powerlifting in the state of Michigan. Alex did a heck of a job. She like, I think she like tripled our membership from when she started to when she, when she uh, decided to, to step away. So we're, we're standing on the shoulders of, a, of giants, if you will, and trying to continue the momentum that she built and growing it bigger in the state of Michigan, because there's definitely a big powerlifting community here. Um, it's just getting more exposure to the, the, the Federation and seeing that it's out there. And that's kind of why um, Gina decided to have meets in places like Traverse City and, and things like that to try to get to more areas of the state. Obviously this year didn't work out as well as we've been hoping in terms of the meets that we were gonna have, but um, that's kind of why she had that idea to, to have meets in different places just to try to get more exposure. 
and, and get get around the people. I mean, from from for me being a, a you know newly, I guess I'm not really newly, uh, you know, a new Michigander anymore. I've been here for you know, four or five years now, but I don't New York where I'm from. I don't remember seeing that that much about about powerlifting. Um, you know, here in, in Michigan, we, we have a, a high school federation, um, which I look at it for me, my high school federation kids, then I, if they're really into it, then I feed them into USAPL, mm-hmm. um, that, that meet that we did, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, two of my high school athletes that, that graduated in class of 2020 were supposed to do that meet with me. But because of all the delays that uh, that got them, um, where they were already off to college, or one one of my athletes, um, he moved to South Carolina. His family, after he finished high school, they wanted to move south, and and now he's down there. So it's uh, the, the USAPL. I think I, I like it, as you said, because it is it's a drug tested federation you know, you're not going to walk in there and have to compete against somebody that's at a, you know, chemical advantage to you other than their natural, uh, natural occurrences. Um, but also USAPL feeds into the IPF. Mm-hmm. All right. So we could talk about, we might want to talk about that a little bit, like the IPF and, and what that is and, and how, you know, top level USAPL athletes can go into that, 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 yeah, so the, the IPF is the International Powerlifting Federation, um, largest feder- powerlifting federation in the world. So um, the IPF has different world championships. So they have Classic Worlds, which is Raw Worlds. Uh, they have Open Worlds. They have the University Cup, so for collegiate powerlifters. Um, they have Junior Worlds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so USAPL, the way you qualify for those meets is by winning a national championship. So at if you win your weight class slash division at raw nationals you would be nominated for the um for the national team to go to ipf worlds um the same applies to equipped nationals or we call it open nationals but it's equipped nationals um if you win that um you have the opportunity to go to to equipped worlds equips a little bit different in that um they sometimes will use totals from other equipped national meets because it's a little bit less popular um, so sometimes they'll use that for the, the junior level meets and things like that. So that, that's a little bit, a little bit different than raw worlds in that regard, because, um, raw worlds, they only use totals from raw nationals. Um, and the juniors and everybody competes at one meet for mm-hmm. class at classic worlds. Whereas, um, there's junior national or junior worlds and masters worlds and whatnot that are separate for equipped lifting. So it's a little bit different how they use the totals for that. But, um, yeah, the, you have the t- opportunity to qualify for worlds at, at national meets in USA powerlifting. And it's, it's a whole different atmosphere when, when you get there, it's high level officiating. So obviously the rules don't change, um, but they're just more stringent on them. The referees you're going to have are more experienced. You have to be, you know, in the ref chair, probably seven, eight years before you're going to even consider becoming an IPF referee. Um, so they're going to be even more more strict. Um, the level of competition you're going against is is higher. So your game day strategy, your meet day strategy changes um, changes entirely because um, at the world level, 
you're not necessarily going to always PR, but you might not need to PR to win. You can only be a world champion at one meet. You can PR at any meet. So that's how your, your game day strategy needs to change. Because if you can get the win, hitting a weight that's 10 kilos under your PR and it's safer, why wouldn't you do that? Because you're, then you're a world champion. So, um, and it's just, it's, we got the chance to go to Calgary in 2018. Uh, my coach Gina there. Um, and it was a heck of an experience, definitely eye-opening in terms of how things are ran and streamlined. Um, but it's a, it's a good opportunity to be able to um, really go against high-level competition and, and reap the benefits of, you know, being able to place highly at, at a national championship. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You, you just see it at that, at that highest level. And I, I think Gina told us a story that she had, she had never been red lighted for, for depth, you know, from her high school, she got red lighted in, in high school and then never got a red light for depth until she got there to the, the big yeah. stage. Yeah. And she, she said she, she was nervous about it. What she didn't know until after that was on the inside what I was because <laughs> I got to hold it together on the outside and not look like I'm freaking out on the, on the inside. Yeah. But realistically, inside I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> like, we can't come all the way to all the way to Calgary to have this happen." I was just like, "I don't care what you have to do, bottom it out. <laughs> and it's it's light enough that we'll be fine." And that's kind of that's the story she told too. But yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I think that's the cool thing about, about USAPL is, you know, when you might never, you know, a majority of people are, are never, you know, probably never going to make it to that, to that level, but it's cool that in the federation that you train in, you have that, that option. And with, with the equipped, um, we're talking squat suit, knee wraps, uh, deadlift suit, you know, a bench yeah. shirt, just, just single ply USAPL. They don't they don't have any multiplier or anything. But I don't have really any experience in equipped, so I don't I don't coach it or anything like that because it'd be doing a disservice to whoever I was coaching. But um, I would like to get some because I, it's a whole different animal. It's that's really not even the same sport. Like it requires a whole different skill set because you're handling handling super maximal weights. You have to actually learn how to work the suit and work the bench shirt and find your groove and there's very little room for error like if, if you miss groove in a bench shirt you're just gonna miss <laughs> like like there, there's not much you can do if you miss groove raw you're like ah well i, I could grind it out that's probably not gonna happen <laughs> when, when you're equipped no guys guys in bench shirts benching 800 pounds um, yeah. Lane Sumner at the Arnold benched a thousand in a single ply and single yeah. ply bench shirt. And yeah. I still remember somebody interviewed him and he said that he could actually feel the bones in his forearms bending when he had that in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I can imagine that uh, that that would be insane. Uh, but it's always you know because a lot of times you know people look up powerlifting on on the internet and you might see equipped lifting and it. You know, in my my experience, you know, kind of researching things and whatnot, and the the equipped lifting, especially the multiply stuff, was was really big in the in the '90s and early 2000s, and it's kind of just faded faded away here into more raw competition. Yeah, raw USA powerlifting, I know, didn't have a a raw division until I don't remember the I shouldn't remember the exact year, but I don't. But it was it was in the 2010s and the early 2010s, I think, at some point. Before that, it was just single ply. You could compete raw, 
but you were going to put yourself at a disadvantage because um, other people were in equipment. And I, I don't remember the, the exact year now, but they, I, don't, I should. But, but uh, yeah, Raw has just had a boom in popularity relatively recently. It's still pretty young in terms of uh, in terms of the total sport because, yeah, like you said, multiply and, and single ply equip lifting was how the sport started. Yeah, I, mean, I think raw raw is is becoming a big thing because people can relate to it. I you know they know what it feels like to go into the gym and and grab the bar and bench press two twenty five as opposed to four hundred five. Like they can relate to that because there's yeah. no extra there's no extra variable there. That and it's nearly impossible to train equipped by yourself. Mm. Um, I mean, you can do it. There's ways to do it. I've seen people do it, but it's tough. Um, because you need spotters because if you, if you miss an equipped lift, like an equipped bench, um, good luck trying to, trying, <laughs> trying to get out of there. Um, same with your knees wrapped in a squat suit. That's going to be a tough one to bail on. So that's part of it too, is that number one, you can't, it's hard to learn equipment by yourself. You can do it. I mean, I know people that have done it, but it's harder to learn by yourself. It's much easier to pick up if you have somebody there in person with you and, Number two, it's not quite as safe <laughs> when you're doing it by yourself. Yeah, with the extreme, extreme weights. All right. So, uh, as as a a judge, what what kind of got you interested in that like judging lifts and um, being a referee? A couple different things. Uh, number one, I wanted to give back to the sport. Um, I always tended to notice that. Um, we were short on referees when I was competing when I was when I was younger I think I became a ref in 2016 like early 2016 and I was noticed we were short on referees I always wanted to give back because I, I love powerlifting in general so shoot why wouldn't I want to go to a meet like for any reason and I, I rarely have anything to do on Saturdays especially if it's not a fall Saturday and so I was like why, why don't I do it and so I, I took my referee practical and um like I said, February, March, 2016, Alex was actually who ran my practical um, for me. She had just gotten her national referees. She just passed her national test right around that time. So I got my referees. Um, I passed my referee test then. And then as I'm, as I did it and became a coach, I realized how much it can help you as a coach and as a lifter, because um, especially at bigger meets and national meets. So at national USA powerlifting meets, we have a jury that's there. So if you miss a lift, but you get one white light, you can appeal to the jury if you think that, the, that there was a, a call that was missed. Um, it has to be pretty egregious because um, like, so you, you don't want to abuse it or anything like that. But if you don't necessarily know all the rules, it's going to limit how you're able to do that because you don't know what might have been missed. And it's also going to make you a better coach because as you're watching your lifters, you can see, okay, well, they, you might have hit depth, but you did this. And that's against the, that's against whatever rule it may be. So it makes you a better coach in terms of dialing and technique. For me, I always tell everybody I work with like, Hey, if we miss a lift, we're going to miss it because we're not strong enough. We're not going to miss it because we jumped a command or didn't hit depth or any of that stuff. We're going to miss it simply because we didn't have the strength that day. We, that way we, we narrow it down. So we're not leaving it in anybody else's hands, but our own. Um, mm -hmm. So it helps there. And it just helps, you know, with general knowledge of the sport, because I, I like to just watch powerlifting. Like if it's, if it's on, I'll, I'll usually watch it and just to have the general knowledge base there to, to be able to understand what's going on is, is helpful too. So it's multifactorial in terms of why I did it and being a national referee is fun. It's definitely a higher pressure situation. Refing at a national meet. I refed at raw nationals this past year and then at the Arnold 
Um, and it's definitely a little bit higher pressure because you got a lot more people watching. <laughs> but um, it's also been nice to be able to then pass on to the state referees that aren't as experienced the things that I've learned and things that I didn't necessarily know when I was in their shoes. Um, the, the national referees test is very hard in terms of the, the written test. The state test is open book and it's still very challenging because you can't just look up everything. It's not just what is this? What is this? There's scenarios and things like that. Um, but it's open book. The national test is not. You actually have to memorize everything and, and pass that test. And then you take a practical test. And for the national test, you actually are sitting with a member of the jury who is an IPF, either category one or category two referee. And they have to agree or disagree with your calls of the lifts that are actually on the platform. So you tell them whether you think the lift is good or not, they agree or disagree, and you have to get at least 90% in agreement with them. Yeah, that's, I mean, a lot of people don't think about that, how much goes into, into that and doing that job. And, and without, I mean, in any sport, without, without officials, we can't compete. Yeah. So if, uh, if somebody was interested in, in becoming a, a, an official here in, in Michigan, or you know, in any any state that has USAPL, where would they? How would they go about starting that process? They would want to reach out to their state chairs. Um, so if it's in Michigan, you can either or message the USAPL Michigan Instagram. Um, you can find Gina or I's email on the USAPL site, um, or just reach out to one of us personally. And either way, and just let us know you're interested, and we can get the process started. It's a little bit trickier. Um, with how few and far between meets are lately, but we could at least get you set up to take the the written test. So then, once you pass that, then you just take the practical test. Once you pass the practical, then you're then you're good. So yeah. just reach out to your state chair, and they can start to get you set up for for doing that. Okay. Now, um, one one of the the big things when when it comes to um, rules and, and whatnot. Um, we have we have this debate that goes back and forth in the the high school powerlifting association, um, and I'll ask this question to you, and you tell me: Can the head judge can he call depth on the squat? Yes. Yep. Every, every it is every referee's job to judge the entirety of the lift. There is no. Um, there's no differentiation in any rules where it says that the head referee doesn't judge depth. Um, is it harder to judge depth in the front? Yeah, sure is. But that doesn't mean you can't. For, for myself, if I'm the, the head referee, I just move my chair slightly to the side. So I'm not over on the side. I'm just, I just angle it slightly because then I can see more of the lift better. Not just depth, but everything um, than I can directly from the front. So I'm just at a slight angle so that I can see everything more effectively. So that's what I do to be able to judge everything. But yeah, the, the every referee judges every part of the lift. So that's actually one of my my things that um, when a referee focuses, what I and I've, I'm guilty of it too. So I don't want to say like I've never done it. Or I don't do it. I still do it sometimes. Um, like on squat, if we're just looking at depth, there's other things you can miss. So it's it's tough, but we have to try to watch the entirety of the lift. Um, so. Yeah, it should be judged from the front. It's just very difficult to do. Now, with that said, the benefit of the doubt goes to the lifter. So if you're the head referee and you're trying to judge depth and you're like, ah, it was really close, I'm not sure, give it to the lifter because the benefit of the doubt goes to the lifter in that case. But, yeah, it should be judged from the front, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you there. And I, I've had, you know, conversations with, with, many, with many people 
uh, about that. And I mean, I agree. You could you could look from the front and and watch those those hip creases, and if they drop down, you could see it. And I like what you're saying too, getting off to the side so you could see it more. Because I mean, sometimes, um, and that's something I think the the Michigan High School Powerlifting Association is working on is trying to get our officiating more consistent across every meet. Right. You know, because a, a kid might come to our meet in, in Dexter and, you know, get red lights because, you know, we have guys that are really hammering the rules down uh, or go to another place and they're, you know, an inch or two high and they're getting, you know, white lights all day. Like, yeah. you know, I think that that's something we work on and, and that's something that I want to I want to argue for. But I want to take the opportunity while I had a, a uh, national caliber official here to ask that question sure. um and uh that's something that we need to, we need to work on for sure okay all right um so uh the the next thing before we we get into a little bit of of pro wrestling talk uh is uh you know we we have our you know, when we train in, in the weight room at, at school back when we used to be able to use the weight room moment of silence for all the gains that are being lost force them out for the <laughs> uh we, we we're big big on music and i'm big on music um you know in, a, in our weight room you know we have certain days of the week that we play certain songs you know mosh pit monday is a big favorite uh wu-tang wednesday is probably <laughs> the uh the the top favorite amongst the the students and the uh the staff in the weight room. Um, but if you're, if you're training and you had to pick one song, uh, that's going to get you kind of fired up and get you, uh, get you excited. Uh, what, what would that, that song be? It's a good question because I can train to anything, but, um, this will actually segue into our pro wrestling conversation pretty well, but it's the game by motorhead. Always. <laughs> that is my, that is my go-to. I don't need music very often. Um, I can train to anything. I'll train to country music. I'll train to whatever. I just need some noise usually. And just mm-hmm. so I don't hear my knees popping and snapping when I'm squatting. Good enough. <laughs> but, um, but if I need to get hype, the game by Motorhead, Triple H's entrance music is, is my go-to song. So the, I, um, the, the, the smile on my face here, as you, as you say this, this song, um, and, and we'll make this, this song Motorhead's the game, um, our weight room song of the week this week. You know, we have that every week. Remember you can follow uh, our weight room song of the week playlist on Spotify. Just go on Spotify and search iron dread weight room song of the week playlist. Um, this one's a big one for me too, Dana. I, I, I love this, this choice. Um, back, back in the day, you know, I was that guy that, you know, when I get fired up, turn that song on, take a sip of water, you know, Spit it out before I go to the rack. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Honestly, any of Triple H, that, that King of Kings, and then uh, Evolution's entrance music, Line in the Sand, is really good too. Oh yeah, they're all they're all good. They're they're all good, and there's a lot of a lot of WWE uh, music because they're they're smart with that and in in branding that. So Triple H, the game, Motorhead, um, rest in peace, Lemmy. Um, will be this week's weight room song of the week. So you, you segued it perfect for me. Um, you know, one of the first things we're, we're standing at the meet and we're talking and 
all of a sudden it starts going into pro wrestling <laughs> and you know i i love pro wrestling i've watched pro wrestling since i was a little kid um you know we had a, an episode of the podcast uh not too long ago where we did the iron dread king of the ring <laughs> uh which is worth going back in the archives and checking out you know i had a couple of my my buddies who are, are wrestling fans as well and and we put our top superstars into a randomized bracket and we went through and went one-on-one. -on -one, uh, who could we make the best case for for being the uh, you know the, the top the top superstar? And uh, we won't spoil uh, who who won. Well, all those that want to find out who won that and claimed the Iron Dread King of the Ring title, we'll have to go back and listen to the episode. But uh, you know, we have a have a lot of fun with with pro wrestling. And Triple H, uh, over on the bookshelf here somewhere, I have his his book. Making the Game. So this, uh, this book here, and obviously our, our listeners can't see it, but if they want to see what it is, if they're a wrestling fan, um, Triple H's approach to a better body making the game uh, when i first got i was done playing football um i i went through i don't know maybe you went through this too i went through the the bodybuilding style training uh phase i've, I've tried to go through but i get so bored that i'd never really make it anyway <laughs> Uh, it's, I, I wound up, I found, and, it, and this was how kind of, I guess, uninformed I was and, and young and learning everything. I found on the internet somewhere, Triple H's training routine. <laughs> <laughs> and I wound up just taking that routine and probably for, you know, three months or so just did the same exercises on the same day, the same sets, the same reps. Uh, but I was all fired up because I was, I was training like the game. Uh, and then I found the, this book and edit, edit some different things, but it's like part, uh, part his, uh, career story and life story, part, uh, training manual. <laughs> so again, if you want to find that, that book, any of our listeners, it's called making the game triple H's approach to a better body. It's, uh, it's kind of old now. I think published in what was the copyright date here probably like the early 2000s yeah 2004 2004 this was back when triple h still had long hair yeah so uh, as a, as a pro wrestling fan um you know or a wwe guy uh, exclusively did you go into the south and wcw uh what you know nwa tna wh wh where were your loyalties in the pro wrestling world um i was like nine to 12 years old right when wcw and nwo and all that were really popular so that was the majority of my younger um wrestling viewing was was wcw um I watched WWE, WWF, whatever, after after that some, and then I, I got away from it for a while because I thought the storylines were kind of meh. Um, recently, I've gotten back into it again 
uh, because I was bored during when everything was locked down. <laughs> so I got the WWE Network and started watching matches and going back and watching the old WCW matches. But um, although now, honestly, I, I prefer some of the wrestling in AEW. They, they have, they're a little bit more um, liberal with what they allow move-wise and stuff. So it's, they got some fun characters on there too. Oh, for for sure. Um, you know, my my all my wrestling buddies call me an AEW Mark uh, because they like Mark. Folks, for those uh, unfamiliar, is a wrestling uh, term where you're uh, kind of a a shill or a fanboy of you know a, a certain person or thing. So they call me an AEW Mark. Um, and I just tell them, I said, you know, the, the best wrestling is on Wednesday nights, but it's not on USA Network. It's on TNT with AEW. <laughs> Big Orange Cassidy fan. I love his gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> I might be him for Halloween. I'm thinking about getting the jean jacket and like and getting all that stuff and just being him for, for Halloween. Oh, that, that would be great. <laughs> Only like four people at the party will understand who I am, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> that would be great. And for the listeners that don't know, Orange Cassidy is a, an AEW wrestler, uh, and his gimmick is that he doesn't try too hard. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good in the ring when he does try. Like, that's the Correct. thing. He's, he's very good in the ring when he does try, but the whole, like, all the, the little kicks and stuff that he does. <laughs> It's if you if you are a pro wrestling fan and you don't know who Orange Cassidy is, uh, at, at first he he I was like, what is this guy doing? You know, he he's killing the business. Look at him. He's just you know tapping the guy on the shins, putting his hands in his pockets. Uh, but over time here, Orange Cassidy has really grown on me. He you know he doesn't you know climb into the ring like a normal wrestler would. He like lays down on his yeah. back and slowly rolls under the bottom rope. <laughs> uh, he, he is, he is a, a quality show. And, and this feud with him and, and Chris Jericho going on right now, oh, yeah. I like that. Cause it, and I think that's, that's one thing that AEW does really well. We, don't, we know, as wrestling fans, we know who Chris Jericho is. We know who John Moxley, Dean Ambrose is. We know all these big names that have come from, from WWE over there. But they do a good job of getting you to buy in and believe in these, I guess you could call them, you know, unseen or no named or, you know, wrestlers that have come up in the indie promotions, the the independent promotions, where if you're a fan of that, you you know who they are. Um, But they, they make you they make you believe in these people and the characters that they're trying to portray. Mm-hmm. And anybody with Jericho, Jericho can carry on his own. He's one of the, he's one of the best, even though he looks like a, a dad that just sits in his chair and eats chips anymore, but Hey, more power to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jericho cut a promo on a, a drone and it, you actually, you didn't want to shut it off. Like there's sometimes the WWE stuff when they're cutting promos on each other and having these dialogue back and forth. I'm like, this is dumb. Well, the scripted promos are just ruin everything. Like, Having having in WWE having having the promo scripted just not not great. No, if they were if they were really really good actors, they probably would be acting. They're wrestlers, like they're they're they know how to perform in the ring, and you give them a little bit, and you let them just kind of go where they're naturally feel. Right? You know, mm-hmm. if we if we scripted this podcast, it would be terrible. Yeah, uh, because I would be trying to follow lines or or anything like that. Right? You just it. 
people, when they're having natural conversation with each other, it's more believable. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing with wrestling. And a lot of people will, and I'm sure you've heard it too over the years. Oh, why do you watch that stuff? It, it's fake. Uh, and for me, it, I don't look at it as athletic competition. You know, powerlifting is athletic competition. Uh, wrestling is performance. Is borderline, but <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, it, it, yeah. Uh, You're doing a little bit of wiggle room there with the athletic part, but I'll, I'll give true. it to you. It makes me feel better about myself. Uh, but the the outcome's not predetermined because right. if I if I was if I was booking the powerlifting meet, I most definitely would not miss my first squat every time <laughs> on commands, and I would add a couple hundred pounds to the bar, you know. But wrestling. You know, if they, if they do it well and they tell a good story, they, they use that term suspending your disbelief where you, you know, you know that it's, it's a work, as they say. You know that, you know, these guys aren't, you know, really punching each other in the face. But you also know that in a movie, nobody's really punching each other in the right. face. Um, but when they do it right, you suspend your disbelief and you really – start to buy into what they're doing. And I think AEW does a great job of that with their character development and, and all that, and which is why I like to watch it. Yeah, I'd agree. And that's, I think that's why when they had their good run, that's what WCW was doing too, is that they, they didn't have the silly doink the clown characters. They, they had, they had, you know, believable, more like reality based storylines that you could actually buy into. Yeah. And, and that's what made, you know, and, and I tell like younger people that I talk to about this uh, that weren't, you know, around back then or, or really, uh, really young where they don't remember it or even people that just didn't watch it back then. But in, in the, in the late nineties, you know, wrestling was, was pop culture. Like you were, and WCW was huge, a huge part of that. Like you had, you had, you know, mainstream people coming, coming into the wrestling and wrestlers going, you know, out into the mainstream world. Like it, it, it was pop culture. Like people were, you know, it was cool to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. Now we're nerds. <laughs> now, now we're, now we're nerds. Now we're weird. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we like a fake sport and all those yeah. things. And I guess that's what it, that's what it was, you know, kind of before, right. But even though they didn't know it was. Even though K-Fabe existed at the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause that I mean, WWE, uh, WWE has, has completely destroyed the idea of K-Fabe. And oh, yeah. for those that don't, don't know, again, we'll, we'll define the pro wrestling terms here as, as Dana and I thoroughly enjoy ourselves. <laughs> you're talking about pro wrestling kayfabe was the idea where if a wrestler kept kayfabe was where they played their character up um you know and made it where nobody knew that it was a work um you know and, and one of the last guys once once the undertaker broke yeah, kayfabe he, he lasted a long time though before he finally did before he finally did i'll give him and he's, he's one of the he's one of my favorites he's in my he's in my top three top three top five for sure Oh, he and I'll ask you that question in a moment once we finish on this. Who your top five is? Uh, it, it they they kept the character a secret, right? They they lived their gimmick. Um, you know, you never you never saw the Undertaker, you know, chatting it up with the guy that he's wrestling against. You know, they always kept that. And 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 old times of, of wrestling, you know, like guys would 
you know, in order to keep kayfabe, like the, they would go, I can remember hearing about uh, cowboy Bill Watts in, in JR's book. Uh, I forget if it was his first one or a second one, which if you haven't read those, I highly recommend them. The audio books are great too. Cause Jim Ross actually reads them, but he talked about cowboy Bill Watts, who was a, a wrestling promoter uh, in um, the deep South there. Um, he, told his guys that if you were out in a, a nightclub or a bar and you know, you got into a, a little scuffle with somebody, you better win. Cause if you don't, that's uh, th- that's, that's ruining the business and nobody's going to want to come see you wrestle somebody. If they saw you get beat up in the bar on Saturday night. Yeah. I, I heard that. And I heard a couple of stories where folks were in a program against each other. And they would usually ride together to like to the event and they wouldn't anymore because they didn't want people to see them get out of the same car together. Yep. And that's kayfabe and that, and that's keeping it a secret. That's keeping the curtain down that allowed for people to believe in it more. Mm-hmm. But like nowadays, like I, I watched, you know, SummerSlam the other night a little bit. And before, before the, the show started, right, they have a documentary on Bailey and Sasha Banks, who are supposed to be heels, we're supposed to hate them right now as heel champions to the babyface Oscar again, wrestling terms, folks, heels, bad guy, uh, babyface, good person. Um, but before that, you're having a, a documentary where they're talking about all their influences and Sasha Banks is getting all emotional about Eddie Guerrero <laughs> and all this. I, I love Eddie Guerrero too. So I'm supposed to hate that girl. <laughs> You know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like, they gotta they gotta sell some storyline. Like, sorry, they they weren't. You know, when the when when the horror movie wasn't on, they weren't having Freddy Krueger sit down and uh, you know and tell us about all the things he loves in life, right? <laughs> like, they kept the character, and and that and that's what makes it makes it hard. You know, and but AEW does that does that too a little bit. You know, with being the elite on YouTube and stuff like that, like it's it's hard not to with social media now though, because social media wasn't around and you know early late nineties early two thousands when they could keep kayfabe together. Because now you know you, you go to a wrestler's Instagram and they post a video of or they post a picture of Rey Mysterio without his mask on. Although if you watch WCW, you've seen him without his mask on. But yeah, but he posts a picture of himself without his mask on. They didn't have that when you were, when you were younger, so it wouldn't wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't have ever seen it. No, and and it's. And the it, it's tough be, with that because like I mean you you brought up WCW and how WCW was so realistic when they had that NWO angle coming in one of the first nights when you know Hall and Nash you know were attacking guys backstage people it was so realistic and they they did it so well that people actually called the police yeah when they threw Mysterio into the trailer yeah yep. Yeah, they called the police because it was they really thought that these guys were invading from the WWF and they were really trying to hurt hurt the WCW wrestlers and they mm-hmm. and they called them. But yeah, but now with social media and and I think too, um, one of the things before we get to your top five, because um, obviously you and I could probably do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> um, one of the things that like heels i think real wrestling fans they appreciate when bad guys are bad guys and they make you want to hate them like i hate baron corbin he sucks i hate him you know when the miz was heel i hated his ass uh, because 
they did a good job of making you not like them. Mm-hmm. They're heels. You want to see them get beat up, right? You want to see them lose. You want to see bad things happen to them. And they don't, they don't always do that now. I feel that way about Rollins. Rollins is a very good heel. Like, yeah. Don't make him babyface ever because he mm-hmm. plays the heel part very, very well. Same with Orton. Yeah. Like uh, now Randy Orton, because he's gone, gone both ways for me. He, he's turned quite a bit. Like he's getting to that. Like, now nah, I don't want to say quite as cool status as the NWO. Cause the NWO were heels, but they were cool heels too. And you know, we love them, but you know, something about, you know, Randy Orton has kind of been around so long now that, you know, he's got to do some bad things yeah. to get us to really hate. Like when he kicked Edge in the head, like, okay, all right, you, all right, now, now we're coming, now we're coming back at you, and you're yeah. you're a jerk. Um, he's he's getting the babyface reaction from the crowd, but he's a but he's a heel still. But he's a heel. It, it's it, there's a lot of dynamics of pro wrestling, and again, we could talk about about pro wrestling forever. But hey, r- real fast off the top of your head, who I mean, who are your top five of all time? Number one will always be Sting. Um, I, I love Sting. Um, I love Surfer Sting's in-ring ability, but I love Crow Sting's ability to tell stories in the ring. So Surfer Sting was obviously a little more athletic, a little younger, so his in-ring abilities were probably a little bit better. Um, but Crow Sting, the story he was able to tell without really saying anything, that's the best part of, of that. He didn't talk for a year. Um, yeah, without really saying anything. Um, although Bischoff ruined Starcade 97, but I won't get into that. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I won't get into that, but because we could have a whole podcast on that too. Um, the Sting's number one and always will be. I was him for Halloween a couple years ago. Um, Surfer Sting for Halloween a couple years ago. Um, hair wasn't long enough for, for Crow Sting. Number two, I might not do it in any particular order, honestly, but Undertaker's in there because he has to be um, for how long he was there, um, everything he did. He can't help it. And he was really good in the ring. He could, he could do it all. Um, Kurt Angle, he was a really good heel. I hated him when I was a kid. Um, and he, and he was amazing in the ring. Like Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels matches. You could watch it all day because he's, he was athletic. He could, he could do it all. And he was a really, really, really good heel. Um, that's three. Let's see. Um, I had one in my head. Now I can't think pretty much any WCW cruiserweight. WCW cruiserweights are phenomenal. Um, really like Billy Kidman and Hoover Guerrero when they were in their when they were in their in their prime. Hoovy Juice. Although when Hoovy lost his mask, I was sad. I hated mask matches. because um, they you knew you knew they were gonna lose them. Um, and then I think my last one, I'll go with somebody more current. Um, just because I haven't had named any current. I really like Bray Wyatt and what Bray Wyatt's been able to do. He's kind of today's mankind or today's Mick Foley, where he has mm-hmm. the three different personalities. Um, I don't think they're using him right. <laughs> but that's not surprising. It's WWE. Um, but but he's very athletic, especially for a big man. Um, his promos are good. His ability to be three different personalities is amazing. Um, so yeah, he's he's probably my my last one if I'm going with someone a little more modern. Because some of the younger listeners probably have no idea who Humberto Guerrero or, or Billy Kidman are. No, <laughs> no. But they would be entertained if they're a oh, wrestling yeah, fan. Yeah. There's a triple threat: Rey Mysterio, who went to Guerrero, and Billy Kidman. I watched on WWE Network. Oh man, yeah. that was. And then the match immediately following that, then Billy Kidman wrestled Eddie Guerrero right after that match. Like it was on the. It was like Starcade '98, I think. Um, he wrestled two matches back to back. Was that had they started doing like that, that New Blood 
uh, versus the well, I forget what the older guys faction was like the Millionaires remember, Club. But I don't, or something. I don't think so yet. That because that was right around the New Blood and all that was right around when Vampiro came in and ruined everything. That, <laughs> that program with Sting was terrible. They had no chemistry in the ring at all. <laughs> Vampiro was horrible. He was so bad. <laughs> and he was just a knockoff of Sting anyway. Yeah, that's all. The only thing worse than that was the Kiss Demon. <laughs> the kiss demon what uh, one of one of tony shivani's uh you know favorite things in theory <laughs> oh that was so bad oh man but yeah it's no I, that's i could i could agree with a lot of the a lot of the names on that list and i mean you appreciate you know what you know the, the undertaker you know we talked about him like you know how he sold himself to the business he was a the leader, you know, he was always living the gimmick. Went went from that that dead man character to the American badass, which I loved, and was hoping that we'd see that in its entirety this year at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, we got it a little bit, but it wasn't. You know, I still wanted to hear Limp Biscuit rolling or <laughs> or or Kid Rock, you know, American badass come coming in in there, but it it wasn't. It wasn't bad. Have you watched that, any of the uh, programming now with this Thunderdome where they put the, the screens in the crowd? Not really other than SummerSlam, which I was pleasantly surprised by SummerSlam, honestly. I went in with very low expectations and, and was pleasantly surprised by it. It was, it was better than I anticipated. I, I think that it has added the a little bit better feel of the real crowd. Yeah. Um, having that there where I've, I've actually was able to watch it. A lot of times I shut it off and I watch AEW and, uh, but AEW was smart by, you know, in this you know virus era, putting the other wrestlers out there to create that noise. So we've been, we've been had, we've had that from AEW forever. Um, well, since this whole thing started, uh, but now WWE is finally catching up. Cause when they put the, when they put the NXT superstars out, out there and there you could tell they're like being told what to cheer <laughs> where you have just AEW guys going out there and like Billy Gunn and his son Austin are just, you know, <laughs> being rowdy fans that probably would get thrown out if they were real fans. <laughs> you know, that's entertaining. That makes yeah. it good. So. All right, Dave. Well, we can, like I said, we could come back and have another, we could <laughs> break down, you know, Starcade. 97 and how that was ruined right the bill goldberg in the georgia dome uh that they gave away for free and we could probably talk about a bunch of bunch of different things that's happened but i don't want to keep you uh too much longer here um i guess one thing i'll ask you uh is is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that's uh interesting that people may not know about you not really I'm a pretty boring person. Uh, other than here, here's my, my interesting fact is I cannot swim. I was raised in a state surrounded by water, and I cannot swim. If I get jumped into water, I just will drown. So there's my fun. So if you, want, if you, have, if you have it out for me, that's how you can get me. <laughs> throw, throw them in water. <laughs> that is interesting. So, um, all right. Well, I mean, I won't keep you too much longer. Um, I think uh, I talked about everything on on my list of things that we were going to talk about. Uh, if you don't have any anything else you'd like to bring up, uh, I could have you drop your social media handles again where people can follow you or contact you for training, and uh, we'll wrap the show up. 
All right, sweet. Um, yeah, so you can you can get a hold of me at uh, at Power and Performance on Instagram. That's Power underscore and underscore Performance. Um, that's my business Instagram. My personal Instagram, you can contact me there too. Is all one word Cinco too. It's a long story about that nickname, but <laughs> but that's my personal Instagram. Um, you can reach out there and message me, um, or you can go to my website, which is powerandperformance.net. Um, careful, don't .com it because it won't go anywhere. Um, powerandperformance.net, and you can inquire on there, and it'll shoot me a message, and we can uh, we can set up a call and uh, get some programming started if uh, if you're interested there too. Uh, folks, you heard the man. Go ahead, give Dane a follow if you uh, enjoyed his episode of the podcast. You know, shoot him a shoot him a DM or make a post. Uh, make sure you tag me at Coach underscore Whitaker at Coach underscore Whitaker sixty six and use the hashtag ID Podcast when you're talking about the show. Dane, thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dane for stopping by, having a good conversation. Uh, look forward to. Uh, talking more with him in the future and you know possibly coming back and doing that full pro wrestling podcast uh, that him and I would love so much to do Uh, before we get to this week's weight room song of the week selection we have a brief word from our sponsor the iron dread podcast is brought to you in part by crank it up DJ service and line dance instruction Available for all your DJ and line dance needs. Please visit crankitupdjdancing.com for booking information. So crank it up! This week's Weight Room Song of the Week brought to you by Crank It Up DJ Service and Line Dance Instruction. Visit crankitupdjdancing.com for booking and availability information. Folks, this week's Weight Room Song of the Week chosen by our special guest, Mr. Dane Roach, coming from the albums of the WWE, most notably the band Motorhead. Rest in peace, Lemmy. It's the theme song for the Cerebral Assassin, the King of Kings, the multi-time world champion, the game, Triple H. Crank it up. Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it! All about control! And if you can take it, all about your death! And if you can play it, it's all about pain! And who's gonna make it? 
There you have it, this week's Weight Room Song of the Week, Motorheads, The Game, the theme song for WWE Superstar Triple H. That's our Weight Room Song of the Week this week, chosen by our special guest, Mr. Dane Roach. Well, folks, that's all for our show this week. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Remember, please give us a follow and subscribe to this show. That way you can get it each and every week when the new episodes come out and come right into your podcast platform of your choosing our official hosting platform is anchor you can go to our anchor site and find links to any of the major podcast platforms or just search for us on your favorite podcast platform you'll find us there apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and many more remember to use the hashtag id podcast when you're talking about the show if you enjoyed it you're listening to it Tag us. Tag me at Coach underscore Whitaker at Coach underscore Whitaker 66. Put it in your story. Use the hashtag ID podcast. Let people know you're listening to the show and you're enjoying yourself. We got people from all over the world listening to this show. We want to hear hear from you. And I want you to interact with us here too as we put out the shows each week. Well, until next time, folks. Remember, strength is never a weakness. Tough people always win. Where I'm at, we're trying to become Dread Stronger. This is Chris Whitaker, signing off. Thanks for listening to the Iron Dread Podcast. Please note that all views and opinions expressed in this podcast are the sole views of the individuals stating the opinions and not the views of the Dexter Community Schools. Also, please note that all music used in this production of this show is the sole property of the artists and recording labels from which the music came. Thanks for listening to our show and hope to have you back again real soon.